You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. We would suggest 2,500 to 3,000 would not be a surprise over the next 12 to 24 months. And this is a cyclical correction. Um, could we get to 1750? Sure, even 1700. Um, I think we're still intact in terms of a long-term secular trend, uh, even down to about 1650. Well, joining me today on the Mining Stock Education Podcast is David McIlvaney of McIlvaney Wealth Management. He is an advisor to many when it comes to where they're going to put their investment dollars, but he is also a hard money advocate, believing in gold and silver as real constitutional money. And he's a bullion dealer in, in sell, selling of precious metals as well. So he's got his pulse on a lot of things that concerns uh, me and the listeners of my show. So David, welcome back onto the show. And I'd like to start off by getting your thoughts on the general equities. You know, going back to 2015, I can remember using ETFs to short the market. I was bearish on the general equities back then, but it's totally blown away all of my expectations as the Dow just recently topped 30,000. No matter who's president, whether Trump pulls out a come from behind victory or Biden is inaugurated, does it even matter anymore? What's driving the general equities higher? Yeah, I mean, there is uh, a clear move higher in the equities market for two things, uh, two reasons that stand out to me. One is the footprint of the Federal Reserve and continued promise of accommodation, both monetary and fiscal. Uh, those things have put a floor in the equities markets, which is very helpful if you're at long equities. Um, the Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, uh, hopefulness as it relates to, um, you know, the solution for COVID certainly has investors also excited. Um, when you look at the behavior in the stock market, I'd say it's fairly unhealthy. Um, a lot of the big moves have come in your most shorted uh, stocks and, and sectors. So for instance, the Goldman Sachs short index is up 30% uh, year to date with the S&P up about a third of that. So, you know, you've, you've had triple the performance and you say, well, those are the companies to own. No, actually those are the companies that were shorted for a good reason. And a lot of the energy that you've seen there is in fact short covering. So uh, what, what I would say is, is that we're gonna continue to see upside in the equities markets until there's a reason for it to move uh, in the opposite direction. Um, that may sound like stating the obvious, uh, but you, you've, you've got to give the benefit of the doubt to uh, price action and it's going to continue to move higher and, until there's a reason for it to move lower. So, um, you know, I, th I think a part of what is in the market today is, is a lack of discipline. Um, you know, we have, we have no real desire to see uh, fiscal discipline. Uh, we have no desire to, to see um, the central banks uh, do what is in, in the long-term best interest of, of individual countries or individual currencies. And I think what we're, what we're dealing with is expedience. My question is always going to be, as a hard money guy, um, are there long-term consequences to being very short-term minded? Um, we grant you there are reasons for central bank activism. There are reasons for fiscal interventionism in the context of COVID. Um, but does the dust settle? As the dust settles, uh, are there consequences to bear out on that? So I, I think, yes, I think we're already seeing the dollar press lower at a critical point, breaking below the 92 level. And um, 
do I trust the stock market at these levels? No. Am I long uh, only in the hard asset themes where we think uh, there's, there's, a, there's a strong basis for it going forward? So do you, what percentage would you, when you're advising a client, what percentage of your client's portfolio would be exposed to the general equities and what percentage would you put them in the physical precious metals? Well, I'm going to start with a, a, a different question, which is what percentage to cash, which is really an indication of our concern. And if we're looking at risk and reward, um, how much we want out of this market. I'm willing to underperform the general equities market when the general equities market is being driven by things that I think are unhealthy. And you know, we put, a, put together a fairly complex scoring of various inputs within the financial markets and would describe this as, as, a, as a very treacherous uh, investment market. Um, having said that, the prices continue, can, can continue to go higher. So we're between 35 and 40% cash today. Um, and you could say we're evenly split uh, between uh, precious metals, precious metals equities on the one hand, and uh, general um, hard asset type investments, whether it's infrastructure or global natural resources or uh, very specific, uh, especially real estate and things of that nature. But the themes that we're all follow that we're all interested in. Uh, or I should say all the themes that we are interested in have, have a hard asset uh, bent to them. That's just how we manage uh, in our asset management strategies. We focus on the junior miners a lot on this show. So when you say exposure to the gold equities, what equities in particular are you um, putting your clients in? The ETFs or Barrick or Newmont? Um, you know, we're going to focus on sort of the mid-tier to, uh, you know, march higher to the top of the food chain. Um, but some of the, some of the companies like a barrack, we don't have an exposure to, um, uh, for, for specific reasons, whether it's, uh, leadership or quality of assets, everyone's balance sheet is improving, which is, which is nice. Um, so there are some broad generalizations, which can be made about the sector. Um, but we're still very interested in specific names. We don't like ETFs, um, and feel like we can do fundamental research and, and, and reveal, uh, better value for our for our customers that way. Um, so mid tier, um, you know, we we don't deal a lot with the junior miners or exploration companies, um, and it's not to say that there's not a uh, you know, speculative benefit to those exposures. There definitely is, um, and it's an area that I might have a personal interest in. Uh, but when we're managing other people's money, it is in balance with risk and reward, not just how much money can I make today, um, but you know, how, does, how do we construct a really quality balanced portfolio um, that has healthy exposures and uh, doesn't have surprises, uh, downside surprises. In the past week when gold kind of falls dramatically, do you get a lot of calls from clients or is your clientele pretty well versed as to why they hold gold so they're not in panic mode? You know, we write um, a one-page summary every Friday called Hard Asset Insights that's on our wealth management website, mwealthm.com. And I think between our proactive communication and uh, the fact that we do quarterly calls with our clients uh, to let them know what our views are and how, um, you know, whether it's current events or political analysis or what have you is impacting um, the structure of the portfolio, 
Um, I don't think there's many calls because uh, we do a really good job keeping in touch with folks. So there's really no sense of panic. Um, and in this environment, I mean, we've got a healthy exposure to metals and mining, um, but it's not an all-in bet. So we're, we're also not in a position where we, we, you know, we're turning white knuckled in any stretch because with a healthy cash position, we've got lots of options open. And with broader diversification into those other areas, uh, specifically infrastructure, real estate, and global natural resources, um, while we see some hit from a metals downstroke, um, it's it's not very disconcerting because I think our portfolio construction has been superb. Is there downside support to the gold price right now that you're looking at from a technical level that if it was broken, it would be of concern to you? I'd love to see 1775 hold. Um, we've been expecting sort of 1775 to 1805 as, as an area which made sense uh, from, from chart standpoints. And um, I think we've got uh, more significant support at lower levels. Uh, but I think what we're really dealing with is, is something of a cyclical sell-off. I mean, this, this is uh, firmly a secular bull market in the metals. Um, and it's very normal to see uh, any uh, asset trade up and down on its way to higher levels. Uh, we, would, we would suggest 2,500 to 3,000 would not be a surprise over the next 12 to 24 months. And this is a cyclical correction. Um, could we get to 1750? Sure, even 1700. Um, I think we're still intact in terms of a long-term secular trend, uh, even down to about 1650. So, you know, we're, we're not discouraged. In fact, this is kind of what we look for and are grateful as we have new assets coming in, we get to, ge to get more fully allocated at, at attractive prices. And um, yeah, we haven't been chasing this on the upside. So, you know, clients are giving back a little bit of their gains, um, but with this volatility, again, I think portfolio construction goes a long way towards uh, people being happy. How would you describe demand for precious metals relative to March, April, June, when the metals were really rising? Yeah, there's a lot, there was a lot more in, in, in the March, in that period of time, March, April, May, uh, in June, I think that was that was a, a pretty spectacular uh, point of demand. I would say this: um, you've got folks who are approaching the metals market in a very astute fashion today. We're seeing some very large interested investors who, to this point, have been doing other things and have been doing them well. Uh, and for the first time in a generation, are looking at the metals as something they want to diversify into. Um, not you know a half million dollar purchase or a million dollar purchase, but ten to fifty million dollar purchases, where again they've not touched gold, um, but like the fact that they might not have to pay as high a price as they were prepared to, uh, even a few months ago. So I think one of the fundamental shifts that those types of investors are seeing is that not only is the Federal Reserve trapped, um, but we are in a period where. Um, the only way the financial structure holds together is with lower and lower rates. And there is a high cost to that. So, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons why Janet Yellen just a few weeks ago uh, said, yeah, we've got plenty of room to, to increase deficits. It's because low, rates are as low as they are. But it also, you know, implies that there's going to be a long-term relationship here between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department to keep rates lower 
um, to accommodate uh, what is what is you know arguably necessary today, but by the end of next year probably rec reckless spending. Um, what does that mean for the dollar? What does that mean for the fundamental argument for gold in a low to negative real rate environment? I, th I think you're looking at all green lights. And anyone who's concerned about the current price structure, you know, this is this is just not not significant volatility. Fury Gold Mines is a Canada-focused exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets with major drill campaigns planned across its 3.5 million ounce portfolio. Fury is led by a management team of proven explorers and developers with a track record of success in advancing and financing project development. Fury Gold Mines is well-positioned to create value for investors with low-risk development growth and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSE American under the ticker F-U-R-Y. To learn more, go to furygoldmines.com. That's furygoldmines.com. Earlier in the year, I know some friends that were pointing out to me Bitcoin was performing like a safe haven as gold was. Recently, Bitcoin has outperforming gold. So there have been people that are saying, I'm going to sell my gold and move into Bitcoin. These are social media posts for what it's worth. Any commentary here you could provide as a hard money advocate? Yeah, you know, I think that a cryptocurrency exposure makes sense um, if you're talking about um, a small percentage of assets, uh, one, two, three percent at most. Um, it it is still primarily a speculation, and most of the best arguments for cryptocurrencies are borrowed from the gold market, and it, and it's kind of a cut and paste from why you would want to own gold. And lo and behold, um, you know it has yet to play out uh, through multiple cycles, uh, the legitimacy or even the durability of. Uh, the cryptocurrencies. So I'm 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 still in the camp of, of of a skeptic, not because of what cryptocurrencies could be, um, but specifically um, because of what governments can do to them. You're you're in uh, you're in a in a market which is um, totally controlled. I mean, you know, today we are uh, having this interview, and it's uh, you know all, all, through a medium which can be instantly shut down. Um, there is 100% dependency, and I'm not in control of the kill switch, right? So, so there's there is at the point at which any government around the world doesn't want to lose their monopoly status. Guess what happens? You know, legislation, taxation, limitation, confiscation, or just hit the kill switch. So, so the idea that somehow this um, cryptocurrency trend is going to, to change the monetary world. I think there are, there are aspects to the cryptocurrency universe, which are very disruptive, very healthy, very intriguing. But as a currency, the point at which you challenge the, mon the money monopoly is the point at which you invite more political scrutiny and political attack um, than I think any of the cryptocurrency advocates are, are, are aware is even possible. And you know, there's just certain things we take for granted today. Uh, like electricity. There's certain things we take for granted today, like connectivity. And, you know, I did an interview back in 2014 with an MIT um, uh, professor, Natalie Shukri, and the whole conversation was who controls the internet. Um, and, and so now we're talking about, you know, a, a transnational currency. Um, gold in, is in many respects that very thing. But if cryptocurrencies were to become that, um, it lacks what gold maintains in terms of 
uh, of, of a, a truly um, uh, independent uh, form of money. It, it is 100% dependent. Uh, yes, you can move it around on a USB stick. Uh, yes, you can do a variety of things that are much more difficult with gold. Uh, but in terms of the actual ability to fund a purchase, to move money from one party to the other, you're talking about doing that through um, a system which is, which is far too um, open to scrutiny. Uh, and so, again, I, for my money, if it's a reserve asset, a personal reserve asset, gold and silver is still that sort of base, um, monetary base, if you will. And uh, cryptocurrencies uh, take on, um, you know, one of many smaller speculations, uh, an amount that I'm willing to see go to zero. Um, and if it were to move a hundredfold, uh, I would be a clear beneficiary, but I'm not betting the sun, moon and stars uh, on the success of the crypto market. David, when we invest, we bring a, pers a perspective and a philosophy with certain assumptions. Also, when we look at the politi political sphere, there are certain assumptions that we have even to our analysis. So as I've had past guests share on this show, even comments that were slightly political, I would get emails from both sides. Hey, I really liked what he said. Hey, Bill, that guy was totally wrong for these reasons. So even the investors that are going to listen to this conversation, they're going to come at it from different political vantage points. You bring in a political commentary to your financial analysis. So can you talk a little bit about how you fuse those, why you fuse those, and how you check yourself to see if you're really being objective? Yeah, I think managing money is an interesting job to have when uh, I have philosophical interests with, within the realm of, realm of public policy. And um, it, it's important to recognize that what I want, what I desire, what I think makes the most sense um, doesn't necessarily relate to the markets. Um, the markets are separate from me, separate from my mind, and, and sometimes separate from all rationality. Um, so it, it's important to judge, like I said earlier, on the basis of price action, how other people are judging what is happening. I mean, in, in, that, in that sense, it is like Keynes used to describe it, um, like observing a beauty contest. And you're, you're making a decision as to how the judges will, will determine who wins the, the, the beauty contest. And, and so I, I think what I look at is as much as possible cause and effect. Um, certainly I have personal views in terms of big government, little government, and I'm, I'm, I'm more of your little government guy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's important to see just what the ramifications are um, for whoever's pushing policy into the marketplace. I think it's fair to say that with, with the change of the guard uh, back in Washington um, comes uh, a whole menu of, of big government um, wishes. And you've got a few things lining up in favor of, of getting that stuff done, um, which is you know, a favorable treasury department appointment and uh, loose monetary policy, um, cheap interest rates. I mean, these are, these are things that allow for an amazing amount of latitude in terms of the growth of government. Even more than that though, think about this, even more than who's in power is what's happening at the time someone's in power. You know, I mean, the, the big power grabs, the big, you know, if you will, seeding of individual liberties 
has come under Republican governments. So I mean, you, you had 9-11 and the Patriot Act, you've, you've got a response to COVID, you've got um, Dodd-Frank, uh, which, which was, I mean, all of these things, it really actually doesn't matter who's in control. It matters what happens and what the governmental response is in the context, because, you know, again, we now have as a part of our way of life, if you're going to the airport, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna tangle with TSA. That's just a part of life, uh, and 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 that didn't exist prior to 9/11, but it is a way of life now. What will we have moving forward post COVID, where there's been one more expansion of government, and with that comes uh, a new a new bill to pay, and um, what are the implications of that? As an investor, as an asset manager, I need to know the implications, regardless of what I like or don't like. What are the implications to the reality uh, that I have to engage? Yeah, that's an excellent answer. Thank you for that, David. When you look across the commodity and mining space, besides gold, are there any commodities that have your attention right now? Um, coppers of interest, and there's uh, certainly an interest in, um, we've, we've done very well with lumber this year uh, and our exposures to, to, to forestry. Um, We've had, uh, uh, you know, in the context of COVID, um, in terms of real estate, both data centers and cold storage, and there's a number of things that, again, in terms of sort of unique approaches to real estate have done very well. Those for us are sort of hard asset plays um, specific to the commodity sector, um, you know, most recently, um, uh, the rebound in, in, in oil has, has been very helpful uh, for some positions that we've taken there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still concerned that we haven't seen the global economy come back on stream, right? So I would say that our, our global natural resource segment is under allocated and under invested. And although there's other commodities that are of interest to us, um, we're cautiously optimistic at this point cautiously optimistic because we don't have enough evidence in yet. Stock market would say, you know, the worst is behind us. Um, meanwhile, we're seeing shutdowns in a number of states, uh, lockdowns, and, and, and we have yet to deal with the ramifications of permanent business closures. Uh, small business is responsible for a huge amount of, of you know, job hiring, 60 to 70% outside of, of, of recessionary periods. Uh, small businesses are responsible for, for a huge amount of hiring. And so I, I'd like to see um, what the new normal looks like, um, you know, what adjustments are made uh, in terms of our normal everyday lives and how people spend, not only here in the United States, but globally. Um, so we're cautiously optimistic uh, with some of those other commodities, and uh, but only have partial positions. Again, yeah. The market's moving higher and that's raising all boats. So to some degree, the fact that our commodity exposures are up, it's, it, it's not even on their own merits. It's because everything is up. And I would say going back to Bitcoin, that's one of the reasons why I'm skeptical about this current move. It to me is more of an indication of speculative juices in the marketplace and people looking for a way to exercise their speculative energy. You know, I mean, at the same time, we've got Robinhood going crazy. We've got just in recent months, you know, Hertz declares bankruptcy and then we see a 400% increase in the price of stock. I mean, these kinds of things are, are indicative of people who are begging 
to speculate, begging to gamble. And, and I, again, you, you, can, you can cut and paste the merits of gold onto Bitcoin, but I think really what it is is an expression of um, speculative energy. That doesn't mean it's illegitimate. It doesn't mean that it can't go five times higher than it currently is. It just means that it's up not on its own merits. Um, it's, it's up because everything's up. And, and on that basis, again, stocks can go higher. Stocks can go higher. This is, this is uh, you know, melt up momentum to the upside. And I would just, I would caution your listeners, we had that same dynamic in January and February of this year. We're, we're coming into the second week of February and the whole world looks right as rain. Speculative juices are in the marketplace and within four sessions, stocks are on their backs, Bitcoin is on its back. Everything that was the beneficiary of speculation prior to is now in a free fall. Did and you have so any red flashing sign, warning signs at that time that you were seeing? Most of our warning signs came in the repo market and, and, and sort of in the underbelly of the financial markets um, back in uh, September and October. Uh, so we were, we were already increasing cash positions considerably and uh, we're, we're above 50% cash um, as, as we came into February. And then we're able to get more fully invested uh, following the decline. So we still have a healthy cash uh, allocation. Uh, because I don't think the worst is behind us. I would argue, in fact, that we're putting in an epic market top. This is this is one for the history books and could happen as soon as uh, January, February. Um, we have strong market seasonality right now. Um, but I think if we get to uh, the middle of January uh, to even the middle of February, that 30-day that window is, is a point in time where I think we could be putting in a market top where we don't see these prices for two, three, four, five years. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Silver One Resources is an exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. At Silver One's Candelaria Mine Project in Nevada, there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver, which Silver One is developing and advancing. The company's Phoenix Silver Project, located within the Arizona Silver Belt, is an early stage exploration project on which native silver vein fragments have been discovered near surface. One grab sample assayed an astounding 14,688 ounces per ton. Yes, that's right. Ounces, not grams. Silver One has tremendous exploration potential, is extremely leveraged to the price of silver, and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to silverone.com. That's silverone.com. David, you take look at things from a historical perspective, uh, knowing a little bit about your background as you shared it. And I read your book on legacy through the generations. Your dad discipled you in finance and in the business that you now run. So looking at 2020 from a historical perspective, the adjective that I've heard so many times this year is unprecedented, both by government reaction, what we're seeing in the markets. Do you think that when your grandkids are sitting on your lap 20 years from now, that unprecedented would be one of the primary adjectives that you would use to describe this year? You know, in, in some sense, the only thing that's unprecedented is the degree to which things have been done. Um, it's just more than we ever thought imaginable. You know, you see central bank balance sheets expanding 
trillions at a time. You see uh, fiscal promises trillions at a time. You see, so it's not unprecedented in the sense that we haven't, we, we, this is the way we've been doing things for 30 or 40 years. Basically, we came off the gold standard in 71 and, or came off the Bretton Woods system in 71. And from that point forward, have had uh, a very loosey-goosey approach to uh, you know, fiscal responsibility um, and, 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 and monetary controls. No surprise. Um, well, I guess I guess that's what I would say is is unprecedented. I'm not sure is the right word. The only thing that's different is is the degrees, and we just lacked the imagination for it. We lacked the imagination for it. It's a little bit like you know when I was growing up, I used to ride a skateboard, and it was a big deal if you were you know riding a ramp to to be able to do a 360. Well, who knew that 720s and 1180s or whatever they? I mean, all of a sudden it's mind blowing what can be done today. You know, in the age of Red Bull competitions, it used to be that, you know, Glenn Plake was the, the K2 skier who set the standard for radical skiing. And now he looks like, you know, the incoming freshman class, the guys who are actually doing stuff are jumping 150 foot cliffs and they're doing, you know, I don't, it's just, everything is moved to the point of insane. And, and we just lacked the imagination for it. It's, it's not unprecedented. Um, it's just more than we thought possible. And um, yeah, I, I would, I would, it, I, I wonder if that's not what was happening um, back in the teens in Germany where, you know, everybody knew that, you know, if you needed to, you could just print a little money. And so you did that. And then when you needed to print a little bit more, you just did that too. And then one day you woke up and you said, well, we're doing stuff that we've done all along. We're just doing more of it. And it seems to be working. And, and if it's working, why not do even more than we thought was okay to do in the past? Like now all of a sudden the conventions begin to change and the acceptability begins to change. I mean, think of that with modern monetary theory today. What is, what is, what is interesting is the compromise in terms of our, our ideas. We once thought that it made sense to balance a budget. Now we're being told that the idea of balanced budgets is, is, is for the intellectually um, a faint of heart and, 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 and lightheaded. Like you, 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 you don't know how things actually work. You can run any deficits you want. That's the kind of rationalization that I think you began to see happen 1919, 1920, 1921, as, as Haverstein in Germany started destroying the mark. And by 1923 or 24, the experiment was an obvious failure, but there was an in-between period where you went from what worked or didn't kill you when you did a little bit of it to appeared to right in the middle uh, increase economic activity and, and actually be of great benefit. And that's, I think, the odd thing about something like inflation is, is there's an in-between point where it seems to be giving you everything you wanted and more. Like we could see economic activity jump in 2021, not only because COVID is in the rearview mirror, uh, but but because we've got a tremendous amount of liquidity sloshing around in the system. That's all good, right? Well, it's good until it's not good. And, and I guess that's my point is, is we're, 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 we're getting comfortable at a point where we actually should be getting very uncomfortable. It's, I mean, think about this. It's like any stock that you've owned, um, even look at the mining sector this last year, right? So it, it has a great run up to July and you're, you're very enthusiastic about whatever mining shares you own up to July. Now, the reality was 
if you had just off of the lows seen a three to 400% move in your junior mining stocks, you should have recognized that you at a three to 400% gain had more risk than at any point in the last 90 days, right? You would just experience a reward, but it's a little bit like climbing a ladder. You step off the bottom rung, very inconsequential. You fall off the top rung, it's a bigger deal. So here we are seeing a normal cyclical correction in gold and, and actually risk is less today than it was in July. It, it makes sense to me to be looking at something like that. But all, all I'm saying is there's a psychology involved as we march along and when we have success, what happens is we gain uh, a, a much greater confidence, right? When actually we, we should be getting more cautious, but that's not how we're wired as investors. That's not how we're wired as human beings. Well, you, and, bring, up, you bring up a tension I always have as a mining stock speculator, because I've had stocks that have gone ninefold this year, but I know from past cycles that this type of stock can go 30 to 40 fold over two to three years. So the wrestling internally is, do I have the conviction to hold or do I take a massive harvest of gains, this crazy amount of gains in only six months? So because the big gains for a mining stock speculator is with the conviction to hold for that 30, 40 fold gain over two to three years, which, which does happen in this sector. So I think, I think the better part of wisdom is, is to treat them like options and, and to recognize that you can't have convictions when you're trading options. You have to be opportunistic. And if you have a gain today, it can be gone tomorrow. And, and that doesn't mean that you eliminate your position altogether, but it means that if you have a three to 500% gain, or in your case, a ninefold move, extract your cost basis and then, it again, and then do it again and then do it again. And you can always leave something to ride, um, but, but it's um, by extracting your original basis, um, you know, there are instances in which even in the mining sector, things that behave like options um, all, all of a sudden time out and, and, and they're supposed to be non-expiring and yet they do. <laughs> but, and and so, so by being aggressive, uh, I, that's where I think, you know, being a, a an advocate for the sector, you also have to recognize that that you know these are assets that um, are, are are violent on the upside and violent on the downside, and and in having perfect timing and having a perfect crystal ball and being able to to perfectly chart the moves and benefit, it, it's impossible. So the disciplines that you employ, you know, this is why portfolio construction is so important to us. Having disciplines that we employ and that we discuss as a group. It's a four-person team that determines every decision that goes into our portfolio construction and, 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 and mid-course corrections. Are we adding or are we subtracting? What's the basis of that? We actually have a fifth person who's not on our team, but who comes in and gives us specific insights from a technical perspective, um, just, just looking at charts and, and, and technical analysis. Um, but bring in those disciplines and your long-term success um, is, 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 is easier. It's easier to duplicate over a period of time. Um, yeah. Thank you for that insight, David. And you have your weekly podcast, the McIlvaney financial weekly podcast, and where else can my listeners follow you? 
Yeah, the weeklycommentary.com is where we do our podcast. Um, and yeah, I've been doing that for 13 years now. And uh, really a treasure trove for uh, interviews with, with various people from all around the world, various central bankers and, and academics and, and things like that. Um, you know, for those who are interested in sort of kicking the tires on our gold offerings, I think vaulted.com, V-A-U-L-T-E-D, vaulted.com is a great offering and it's a great way to enter the gold market um, with $5 or $500,000 or whatever amount. Um, it's a joint program that we have with the Royal Canadian Mint and you can uh, look at it online. Uh, it, is an, it is an online-based program. Um, that's, those are great ways to get to know us. I mean, we're, we're all over the place. Um, our wealth management group, uh, again, hard assets is our focus. And, you know, we're looking at something that performs well through multiple cycles. And we do think we've got the wind to our backs, um, you know, to own real things. Uh, you know, it, it, this, this is an area, this is an era of time where if you can stub your toe on it, um, it probably makes sense to own it. So, you know, brick, a cell tower, um, you know, there's a lot of things that fit, uh, you know, the hard asset category for us that are, you know, 21st century iterations or, or go back in time as, as tried and true. Um, but I think uh, the, the, the impacts of what we have over the next, not just four years, um, I, I really don't, I mean, Bill, this is, this is, this is, this is, we, we think of the $27 trillion that we have in, in sort of current debt as the issue. And going back to a conversation I had with Larry Kotlikoff from, from Boston University um, eight years ago, we were 220 trillion in terms of funded liabilities at that point. And I haven't checked in with him since to see, are we north of 250 now? I mean, they're, they're, we're, we're to the point of absurdity in terms of being able to pay our bills. And in that, in, in that environment, I, I know that I don't, with a part of my assets. I want a part of it to be known physical gold and silver. Everything else is a speculation. Everything else is a speculation. I agree with that. And I only got into mining stocks because I put so much money in physical gold and silver. And when you focus on the gold and silver markets for too long, if you're like me, you end up buying mining stocks. But uh, the core of my portfolio is physical precious metals, and from there, I deep dive into the speculative junior mining stocks, which thus far has worked out for me. <laughs> but David, really appreciate your time. Uh, I listen to your podcast frequently and uh, really respect your insights. So thank you for coming on today's show. Uh, great to be with you again. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances 
uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns, as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.